You're listening to The Collected Podcast, bringing you inspiration and resources to help you discover and live from your truest self. The Collected Podcast is a production of Collected Ministries, a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping disciples of Jesus discover and live from their true identity in Christ, recognize and walk in their divine purpose within the kingdom of God, and experience growth in their capacity for mature, healthy relationships. Follow Collected on social media at Collected Ministries, and be sure to visit thecollectedpodcast.com for show notes and additional content related to today's episode. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 16 of The Collected Podcast. I'm your host, Jess Biondo, and this week I am so excited to welcome Alexis Gervin. She's a soul coach, a writer, a people development consultant, and I cannot wait for her to dive in and tell us what all that means and what God's been doing in her life lately as he's had her on this um, really exciting journey. So welcome, Alexis. Thank you so much for having me. I know this has been like a long time coming, so I'm excited we finally get to dive in. Me too. And as we dive in, I was wondering if you could just give our listeners a little bit of background on who you are, um, what a soul coach is, and how you ended up kind of in this journey that you're on. Yes. Gosh, it's a loaded question, but (laughs) I will do my best to kind of give a little synopsis. So I am originally from upstate New York. I grew up in Albany or Smallbany, as we like to call it. And I went to school at Gordon College in Boston, um, just outside of Boston, actually on the North Shore and uh, studied communications and actually backing up just a little bit. I, when I grew up my, I grew up in a family that was really, really rooted, believing family rooted in great communication. Like mm-hmm. we did communication. If, if we did anything well as a family, we did communication really, really well. And I credit that all to my mother, who is this lover of personality typing. She loves all things like great communication. She loves all things, understanding people and knowing why they do what they do. So as, as like a little kid, sixth grade, we were learning the temperaments at our table, like at our dinner table. And we would have, when we would have like our friends come over, they would all like learn about their personality types, go home with like a little workbook and they would learn about, you know, whether they were outgoing or whether they were introverted, whether they were people oriented or task oriented and all of that. And so um, very much so from an early age and kind of wired into my DNA has been this like love of people, love of communication, love of diving deep underneath the surface to understand what's going on underneath what's going on. So went to college in Boston, studied communications um, and journalism, always been a lover of words, a lover of writing, um, been a journaler since I was in fifth grade. And um, when I graduated, I started working for a chiropractor in Boston who was actually developing an online wellness program um, that he was in the process of designing. And so I started working for him as a chiropractic assistant, but then I also started working for him as a writer, working on the think well portion of his program. And I feel like God just so beautifully used kind of my mom in the personality typing space. And then my first boss, we called him doc, Dr. Franson to really help me give verbiage and articulation to mission and vision and purpose and understanding calling, understanding really why you do what you do, but also like how you're made and how that is designed to give gold to the world. Like where does your heart beat the hardest and how can you 
build, how can you build a life around that? So all that said, that's kind of brought me, you know, I've worked for him for a while. I worked for Lululemon for seven years, um, doing leadership development work, doing education for them and training. And so much of my heartbeat underneath all of that has become this deep desire to understand. So similar to your desire in this podcast. So a deep desire to understand story, mm-hmm. understand where people come from, why they do what they do, and then help them get verbiage, like get vocabulary and understand with words why they do what they do and and how they can then show up in the world really powerfully where their heart beats the hardest. And so I will often say I'm a soul coach because I see discipleship as what we are called to as believers, period. Um, and I love meeting with people, learning their stories, and then just giving them the littlest bit of direction, whether it be a book to read or a habit to try or a rhythm to press into, um, to really help them identify like what's going on on the underbelly of their life. And so it's almost a combination now of like um, lay counseling, because I am not a counselor, but I feel like I, I love looking back with people spiritual direction in terms of just praying through with people what they're in the middle of and then coaching really giving them action steps to move forward into the future wow that sounds amazing and it's been a lot of fun yeah. I'll say that much <laughs> throughout all of this you know that's kind of led you to this spot you're at now was there ever a time when you questioned this path that you were on so it's interesting because I feel like there's been a lot of moments of that kind of questioning, but there's always been sort of this like deep knowing. And I think, you know, so much of our, our life is walking with the spirit, right. And is mm-hmm. staying constantly perceptive to, or constantly keeping ourselves perceptive to his little nudges and his little bits of direction. And um, I know there are moments for sure that I've questioned it. I think really one of the biggest ones was actually in the last few years as I um, got this nudge from the Lord, my sister um, married a football coach from Birmingham, Alabama, and um, they started having their babies a number of years ago. And me still being single, I knew that I could, if I wanted to, like if, if it was right, I could go and basically do life with them and support them as they journeyed through, you know, having babies while he's building his coaching career, which is a pretty rigorous thing. It's almost like a military life that they live. And um, so a couple of years ago, I just, I got the nudge from the Lord to move to Birmingham and to actually start to do life with them. But that felt like really out there in terms yeah. of like, wait, wait, I'm going from Boston. I had lived for a while in Santa Barbara, California, which was a blast and a huge component of my life and kind of building into now what I do. But I had moved back up North and I was like, wait, Birmingham, Alabama what the heck? Like what's down there? And, um, and it was just such a clear nudge of the Lord. And it was by far one of the greatest moves I could have ever made it. The community that I developed Mm -hmm. in Birmingham, the friends I made, the um, number of clients, actually the coaching clients that I actually gained while I was in Birmingham have exploded my business literally. And so it was just this really divine divine move. And then on top of that, one of the most recent ones was that they 
then got relocated to Akron, Ohio, which is where I am right now. And same journey, right? I'm like, I'm in Birmingham. I'm loving it. I have great friends down there. And then all of a sudden they're like, Akron, Ohio. Who wants to move there? <laughs> like, what's an Akron? It's the rubber capital of the world. <laughs> is there a football hall of fame there? There is. There yeah, okay. is a football hall of fame. So yes, we've got that for sure. And you got, got- yeah. <laughs> we've got a couple things happening up here. Um, but again, it was just this nudge from the Lord that was like, you know, the work that I've been in is, is soul coaching work and can be done anywhere and can be done with anyone ever. Um, and I don't necessarily have just a specific niche. I have a good number of college students that I work with, but again, with 2021 and zoom, you can work from anywhere. So I feel like so much of my life has then also been just listening for the spirit in who I'm serving, not just from a vocational standpoint, but like familially, I believe the nuclear family is the basis of culture. Mm -hmm. So I want to continue to keep my family together. So that I think those nudges have been really big ones to, um, to follow. Wow. That's amazing. And Mm -hmm. I just see like so many like provisions of the Lord through all of that, Mm. but also this kind of reminder that just because we're comfortable and thriving in one place doesn't yeah. mean that we're supposed to stay there. Yeah. And sometimes we are. Um, so true. So but- true. And, and even in that, I remember having a great conversation with one of my non-believing friends in Birmingham who was so shocked at why I would leave because she just was like, you have a great life here. Like you've built the community in a really short time and look at all that you have. And I was like, yeah, but I know for certain that this is the direction I'm supposed to go. And this has been so wonderful. And I know that it will be wonderful where I go because that is where the Mm. Lord is calling me to next. And so it was a great conversation. It was a great conversation to have with believers in terms of just the bolstering of our faith, but also the kind of curiosity that we birth when we are, you know, when we are following his nudges where he's leading us. Yeah. And I mean, that can also be really scary. Mm -hmm. I think like stepping out into the unknown, into a new season, so like to prepare yourself to be in a place where you are ready to give God your yes, no matter what, yeah. like what are some things that you do or that people can do to be like tending to their their heart and mind and body and spirit and to like make sure we're ready if if there's a new door open? Yeah. question makes sense? Yeah, no, totally. It does. Um, there's a quote that I love by Frederick Buechner um, from his book called Listen to Your Life. And it's one of like my life quotes now, Um, but it just says, listen to your life. See it for the fathomless mystery that it is. Touch and taste and smell your way into the holy and hidden heart of it. Mm -hmm. Because in the last analysis and the final analysis, all moments are key moments and life itself is grace. Oh, wow. And that's like, I mean, if I, if, if that went on my tombstone, like that was how she lived her life, then that would be, that would be great. That would be like the epitome of having lived, I think, well. But um, there are some really key elements, I think, to having a mind and a soul, a heart and a body that are all really beating together. Mm. Um, and there's components of that, like the practices of Sabbath the practice of um, the weekend review, which is part of my Sabbath. Like there are a number of things that I really think we can do to stay steadily remembering and steadily um, 
steadily reflecting on the work of God in our life and therefore aligning our steps accordingly. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, Sabbath has been a huge component of that. And I think that's really um, one of the key rhythms, one of the key components that I see as just a crucial element for humanity. Like God gave the Sabbath to Israel you know, like, it, and Israel was kept by the Sabbath, right? And so in in the most beautiful of ways, he renews us by resting. Um, and so one of the things I love to do, one of the things I love to do to keep mind and body and soul and spirit kind of all together is that every week on my Sabbath, I will do what I call a week in review. And I'll go through categories of, you know, physical, mental, social, spiritual, professional, vocational, financial, financial and recreational. And I kind of use those eight categories to reflect on the week before to do what I I believe we're really called to in terms of remembering the week before to pause on the seventh day and actually remember what he's done and call it good. And in those categories to really consider like, where are the themes? Like what did what did God do? What are some trends? What are some habits or some tendencies I'm noticing in each of those things? And then how can I be intentional about getting rid of what I need to get rid of and taking with me into this next week what I want to take with me into this next week? Like, Lord, where what are you doing? Um, but I really feel like going through categorically to me, it's like letting words order your soul, right? It's like actually doing, um, making the time to remember, to reflect, to recreate and renew, and then move into the coming week with an intentionality around not just what's happening, like not just what's in your planner, not all of the meetings and the conversations and all of what you have to get done, um, but really what's going on underneath what's going on, what's kind of driving the intention and the motivation in your heart set and your mindset as you're moving through the week. And so mm-hmm. that, that to me has become a practice that I've loved. Um, and I think we can continue to dive into just the, the bigger concept of the physical and the spiritual really being intertwined. But I think that practice for me has been a real t- tangible one. Yeah, that is powerful. And for someone who is thinking, you know, listening and thinking, oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. But even the thought of like taking a Sabbath seems overwhelming or, yeah. you know, with just the busyness of life and if there's kids and families and yeah. jobs. And um, so what is, what would you say to that person on how to begin this? Some like first baby steps if they don't have a whole day yet, but what can this look like on a, maybe a smaller scale? Yeah. I love, that's such a great question. And actually my mom said to me the other day, because she knows the practice that I love so well of Sabbath and she knows the season of life that so many of my friends are in are with, it has they all have small kids, right? They're all like my sister's got two little ones, and so many of my great good friends have their two point four children right now. You know, <laughs> so I feel like I'm I'm speaking like the single that I am, but the reality is the reality of life for so many of our so for so many people is just a much busier pace. I mean, that is the way of the 21st century, right? Mm-hmm. We are enamored with and and very much so rec- like life requires us to move and to be productive and to be efficient and all of that. One of the things that I would say, um, and John Mark Comer, I have to give such a shout out to him because man, I love his resources on Sabbath, his book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Mm. Have you read it? No, I haven't. I've heard of it. 
it's oh, it's a game changer on I'll a lot of I'll put that on my summer reading list. Yes, do for sure. It is it's powerful. But he has some great sermon series on Sabbath. He's put out a number of things, a number of resources. But one of the things that he talks so much about is creating a family culture around Sabbath and making it so that there are notable practices and reminders um, throughout a day. You know, if you're going to choose a day that's going to be a day of rest, even if it's not a full 24-hour period, although that is how it's defined in scripture, even if it's not that, what are some practices that you can do to start to build a familial Sabbath culture Mm. and start to um, just usher in moments of you know, heaven coming to earth and the miraculous and the mundane, like, what does that look like? That is, that's me, my foreness on the Enneagram, like coming out. I just, I love that. And, you know, I love in the most ordinary of moments, like how do we make them miraculous and how do we, how do we usher in the spirit? But, um, so he talks a lot about, you know, just even using the table. And, and I think the table is a symbol on so many levels is a, tool that Christ used so beautifully all throughout scripture, a tool that God uses all throughout scripture to just call us back to remembering. And so using the table, using the dinner table, the breakfast table, the lunch table to usher in redemptive conversation, to usher in just intentional conversation. So from a familial standpoint to have, you know, on a Sabbath or to have on a day that you're trying to usher in some practices of Sabbath, either a breakfast, a lunch, or a dinner that's just really intentional, where phones are all away, where there's a couple questions that you're actually going to dig into as a family. Maybe it's going around and sharing gratitudes from the week and hopes for the coming week. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's even diving into you know highs and lows from the week or your greatest your greatest accomplishment from the week or your one of your significant conversations from the week. Like, and, and you can, you can dial those all the way down to little, little ones, right? Like I, one of my favorite things now to do is sit with my niece and nephew at the lunch table and we'll do our gratitudes. And my niece now can say, I'm grateful for, and we'll go through what she's grateful for. And she'll say, my cozy covers oh. and my snuggly pajamas. And, and just to usher in the spirit of gratitude, the spirit of calm, taking a deep breath and saying, okay, how can we intentionally bring in redemptive conversation, remembering conversation, even at the table? Yeah. And that's so powerful, especially to start that at such a young age. Because gratitude just shifts our perspective on everything in life. Massively. Massively. That's amazing. It's huge. And and even too, I'll often say gratitude's the muscle. You know, it's it, it is like it's it's so able to be worked and able to be strengthened, but also can be completely dormant and can be mm. um like a muscle can atrophy, you know. And so when we're not exercising it, it's really hard sometimes to find gratitude. And yet when we're strengthening it, just like any other muscle we would strengthen at the gym, when you strengthen your muscles and you're working them at the gym, you're not working them for the sake of being at the gym, although maybe some people are, (laughs) but you are working them for the sake of engaging them in real life, Mm. right? And so when you are working out, I, I just remember when I started CrossFit, like I started feeling my muscles engage when I was carrying groceries. 
And I was like, oh, wait, got it. Now I start to, I'm under, I'm understanding how this whole thing works. And yeah. so what I've realized in gratitude is the same thing. It's like the more we exercise it when we're, we're choosing the practice, right? Like choosing to sit down and usher it in around a table, choosing to keep a gratitude journal at night and write down three things we're grateful for every night. That's the practice so that then in the day to day, when things are hard, and when it's hard to find gratitude, that muscle is strong and it can be called on to work. Yeah. It's a powerful thing. Yeah. Wow. It really is. And I mean, I think sometimes too, when we're in those situations that are hard or you know challenging, it's sometimes hard to see like, okay, God, where are you in this? Or this doesn't yeah. look how I expected, but that doesn't mean God isn't in it and using it. And yeah, so that- yeah. That's such a powerful practice. You yes. mentioned that you are an Enneagram four. Yeah. And in the beginning, you started, you know, telling us about how growing up from a young age, your mom was always talking about different personality things and communication. Um, so how did discovering the Enneagram continue to influence your identity? Or uh, we love the Enneagram on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, <laughs> um, So could you speak into that a little bit about yeah. your personal journey? Yeah, a hundred percent. So the Enneagram has been a gift on so many levels because although I did grow up in a family that loved personality typing tools and assessments, the Enneagram, my whole family will say, was one of the most liberating tools to finally discover because mm. it was almost like it brought all of them together. Yeah. Really remarkably so. And, you know, we studied when, when I was little and my mom was really just starting diving into all this stuff. We started with um, the temperaments, which are like, you know, sanguine, cleric, phlegmatic, melancholy. And um, those are, it's like Florence Latar and Tim LaHaye that wrote books on that. And, and so those are some of the older versions of just personality typing in general. Then we went to Myers-Briggs, studied that a little bit. Um, understood, you know, I understood from the temperaments that I was a melancholy, but that didn't necessarily really nail me or, you know, really sort of give full verbiage for why I was the way I was. I was way more emotional than a typical melancholy would be. And then um, we started studying that we did the disc model that too, kind of, you mm -hmm. know, I fell in like the C range, but again, it just wasn't, it, it wasn't as full bodied. Studied the Myers-Briggs a little bit, did some leadership assessments that now actually use with teams um, called the Five Voices, where it's derived from the Myers-Briggs. And so it really unpacks how you process the world, how you take in information, how you process it, how you order your world. But the Enneagram, I felt like just brought everything together. And mm -hmm. when Ian and Suzanne wrote their book, The Road Back to You, which I'm sure has gotten many shout outs on this yeah. podcast. <laughs> Um, I just felt like it brought so much together. And I originally thought it was a one. Okay. Um, because of the inner critic. Mm. And that for me is just a, a reality. My my little critic inside my brain and heart is very loud. And I have to constantly reframe and constantly surrender. Um, constantly just invite the spirit back in to remind me the truth. But my mom had actually seen Ian Cron speak. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, and he defined the difference between a one and a four because they both have the inner critic. And he talked about how one would walk into the room and could see everything external that needed to be fixed. 
you know, like the cord that's over there in the corner that needs to be tucked away or the chair that's out of place or whatever. But the four would walk into a room and immediately turn inward with Mm -hmm. that critical kind of spirit. And it would be like, oh gosh, I am not wearing the right shoes. Do I belong here? I don't really feel like these the people are going to think that I'm supposed to be here. Kind of that like inner dialogue that's very critical, but it's it's turned more on belonging than it is on the external mm. environment. And I just, I was like, okay, got it. I'm a four. <laughs> <laughs> and so since then diving in, man, I, we have, I've really just done, it's all been kind of our own study as a family, but you know, reading books and listening to podcasts, but um, Ian said something on one of his podcasts about for fours realizing that no emotion is final Mm. was so powerful because as a four, I feel things to the hilt all the time. Like I feel my highs really high my my lows really low. And I, you know, every, every moment for me, whether it's like, you know, epic sunrise on my birthday and it's, you know, really incredible moment or I'm driving home from spin class on a Tuesday night and I feel like it's the most incredible moment of the planet. You know, like I, I'm the one that loves ushering in the extraordinary and the ordinary, but I've also had to realize like certain moments hold certain amounts of weight. Mm -hmm. And I think that's become one of my biggest prayers is Lord, help me hold with the proper amount of weight each moment that you bring. Mm. And so realizing that and the whole like no emotion is final. I literally have a post-it on my desk. (laughs) No emotion is final. (laughs) And so I have to remind myself on the regular that that is key. Um, And then I think too, just as a four realizing, you know, one of our biggest, one of our biggest blessings and one of the biggest curses is that um, you know that you have a lot to bring to the world but you also never feel like you belong. Mm. And so it's this really interesting dichotomy that is constant. And I think for mature force, like learning maturity for us is learning how to harness the negative emotion, harness the, the critic, that inner critic, and realize the gold that God's given and really hone that because there can be such gifts to bring to the world through whatever artistic craft we have, Um, through whatever gold it is that God's given us. But so often we can sabotage ourselves Mm. because of that depth of emotion that so so often we can just spiral spiral into and never get out of. And then we never actually give the world the gold that that depth of emotion can bring. Yeah. Yeah, it does. What would you say to someone who's listening and is struggling to feel like they belong or have a place and I mean, they, they believe in God. Mm. They believe he, he has a plan for their lives, but they just don't feel like they're, I don't know, in the right place or I don't like something's missing. Mm. Yeah. No, gosh, that's such a great question. And I feel like, um, oh man, there's so many things. I, I do feel as though the pace of life so often is what is a pace of 21st century American life in particular mm. is what can so often squelch our capacity to really hear from the Lord or to really connect with him mm. on a deep level. Um, and so, you know, somebody who is kind of knowing conceptually that Jesus is their savior and, you know, that 
his blood is the redemptive working wonder working blood of Christ. And like that, that is what we choose to believe in, but what does it look like to actually follow him? What does it look like to actually hear from him? I am just such a big proponent of slowing down to consider like slowing down to, to begin to listen Mm -hmm. to the nudges from the Lord, whether that's through wise words of wise counselors around us, whether it's through just disconnecting from all of the channels that we have that have constant access to us all the time. You know, now it's like in 21st century life, we no longer have, it's not like we have to go find noise like we used to for centuries, right? We didn't, we don't have to go find entertainment. It finds us and we have to turn it off. Mm. And so yeah. I would say for, for people who are just really in the journey on the journey of like delving deeper in their walk with the Lord and really wanting to hear from him on, uh, it sounds really simple to say, get quiet, but there's, that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of intentionality and even just the practicality of like, okay, well I get quiet. Then what, what do I do? Right. <laughs> And I think, I'm, I mean, it's, I'm such a paper and pen girl, but I'm such a big fan of, you know, sitting down, brain dumping all the things mm. that are swirling through your heart and your head, all the to-dos, all the have-to-dos, all the get-to-dos, all the, you know, what's calling you, a million different directions. And then after you get all that out, actually waiting like like staying in that moment for a little bit and again it's super hard because it's like in the in the craziness of now but then also in mom life and in you know so much so much of our lives are forward moving and have to be forward moving so I'm not at all going to pretend that it's an easy process to ruthlessly cut out you know to ruthlessly make time for that but for someone who's really wanting to dive into their walk with the Lord, I just, I know that that is a really key um, component. Mm. That's really good. And I feel like that is for someone out there. Um, I'm a two on the Enneagram, okay. which our listeners have heard about my two journey. But I think my fear, you know, in trying to quiet myself, sometimes I believe the lie that if I do get quiet, like, and I start to reflect inward or wait on the Lord that like, there's not going to be anything there. Like Mm -hmm. there's not going to be anything in me Mm -hmm. that is worthy of love or the Mm -hmm. Lord to speak to me or, you know, so we all have different versions of the lie that Satan's trying to use to keep us distracted and busy and avoiding time with the Lord because it's the thing we really need the most. Yeah, it so is. It so is. And even in that whole idea of getting quiet, I will often say, you know, if you're going to do the verbal vomit thing in your journal and get all of your thoughts out, then replace that with the truth mm. so that those lies don't take over because you're, you're totally right. It's, it's a fear that I often have too. Sometimes if I'm just going to go for a walk and I'm not going to take a podcast, I'm not going to take worship music. I'm like, but then I'm just going to be listening to myself yeah. and I don't want to listen to it. I like, I need to listen to you, Lord. I want truth to be going in this brain. Yeah. And so I think, you know, and yet that's also, that's also the, the falsity that like, I mean, quiet is where we often meet him in those moments of just when it's just him and us, you know, just him, him and I, him and him and us. But, um, but I think one of the greatest practices we can also do in those quiet spaces is replacing the emotional gobbledygook, you know, getting it all out on paper. And then I love just like 
writing words of truth in my journal so that I see them and so Mm. that they're regularly recorded, like to replace what has come out of me. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Um, I kind of want to shift topics. So you've mentioned a few times that um, you're single and yeah. I am too. Um, I'm in a dating relationship now, but I'm still like unmarried. Okay, so, you it. know, I check single on like a tax form. Um, got it. Okay. <laughs> and, um, you know, you were open about that earlier. So I was just wondering, um, what mm. has God been teaching you through that process? Oh, good boy. <laughs> this was not on the preparation I form. know. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's fine. This is this is a good deep dive into the vulnerability of real life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have loved in the little bits that I've seen your social media posts. I thought you were married. So <laughs> two points to have it's a really great social media skill. Thank you. You know, that just goes to show that Instagram can be very deceiving. Very much, very much. There we go. We are in a very happy relationship. Um, awesome. but awesome. yeah, no, no ring yet. Yes. Fantastic. Um, Okay. So what the question is, what am I learning through the journey of singleness? Yeah. Or if you just want to speak to singleness or encourage someone out there, I just felt like we Mm. need to touch on singleness. Yeah. And I'm not sure why or what you have to say about it, but I feel like there's some goodness there. Yes. That is a, oh man, it is a real journey. For mm-hmm. sure. Um, somebody asked me the other day, because I'm 36, mm-hmm. and uh, they were like, wait, so are you divorced? I'm like, no. They're like, never been married? I'm like, nope. And they're like, do you want to be? I'm like, 100%. <laughs> like, this is not a like, oh, I just am doing the independent woman thing and you know, never want to settle down. This is not that at all. Um but I have definitely been perplexed, I think, at numerous points during my life as to like, why, Lord, this is such a deep, deep desire of my heart mm. to do life with someone and to build the kingdom with someone and to run hard for the sake of kingdom life with someone. Like that is my biggest passion. And if I'm really honest, I've never had the crazy burning desire in me to be a mom. Mm. I I don't, I have not written it off. Like there's absolutely, I, I will most likely hopefully it will happen. But I've always had this deep burning desire to do life with someone. I'm a companionship girl, a hundred percent. I mean, I'm a four, I'm a romantic, right? So like (laughs) I I write the books, like, (laughs) but all that said, um, you know, it's, it's that steady journey of knowing that like, I will go, if I'm single my whole life, I will go to the grave with it being one of the deepest desires of my heart to do life with someone. Mm. But I have also realized how, beautiful and wonderful and crucial it is to make the most of the life that he has given us in every day and to not long for the one thing that we think is just going to be like the fulfillment of all of life. And then once we get that thing, it will be, you know, it will be done. Like we won't have any great (laughs) longing after that. And the reality is, and I think if anything, it's a great this, this is probably the nugget that I would just sort of land on around singleness that I'm relishing and, and really trying to practice right now is that um, there will always be something, mm-hmm. right? We are, we are humans and this side of heaven, there will always be burning desires in our hearts. And 
once we get, once, once we cross one threshold, there's always something else that just in our flesh and as humanity, like, and the Lord, you know, the Lord put those desires in us on a number of levels too. And yes, with the world, the flesh and the devil, there's a lot of conflicted components of those desires. They can, they can twist on a lot of levels too. However, the point is there will always be something. And so I think what he's really tried to is really trying to just teach me right now is that learning deep contentment, learning that practice of gratitude, learning that like Mm -hmm. every day is actually a gift. Like that's not just, you know, a hallmark statement to go on one of those little wooden plaque things on your desk. It's like really life is grace. And therefore today getting to step into the work that he's given me to do, the relationships he's given me to be in, um, the conversations like ushering in redemptive conversation is just one of my like life mottos. Like that is what I want to do. And like at all moments, at all times, people make fun of me and they say that I, um, I scuba dive. I, I won't snorkel <laughs> in conversation. I'm like, yeah, who likes to snorkel? Like, come on. No, nobody likes, a good, nobody likes a snorkel sesh. We like a scuba sesh. And so in that, just realizing that, you know, most likely there will be something after the whole marriage thing happens, which like, God willing, there it will. There will be something else. And so what do I learn from a character standpoint, from a trust, from a faith standpoint right now in my journey with him that I can take um, and, and learn deep for the sake mm-hmm. of, you know, listening to this life and relishing this life and, and living and stewarding well what he's given me right now, regardless of whatever that burning desire is, because there will always be a burning desire. Yeah. Oh, see I knew you had something. (laughs) You knocked it out of the park. And that is a word for people at any stage in life, like not just single. Because like you said, we there will always be an unmet longing because we live in a broken world. Like we're all we're waiting for the kingdom to come fully. And we experience, you know, the kingdom of heaven on earth now. Yeah. We get glimpses of it, but Really, I mean, we're all longing for Jesus to come back and for the promises to be fulfilled, but that was good. Thank you. And I, you know, I even needed that reminder too, because it's like, I am in a wonderful relationship with a wonderful, godly man. And Mm. now I get the questions constantly like, so when are you guys getting married? When is it happening? Well, yes, I want that, but also this season's so sweet, and I don't want to rush out of just enjoying dating him and getting to know him without all these other obligations or pressures or, you know, the busyness of life. Like, our whole focus right now is just to, like, get to know each other and cultivate a relationship, and um, so I've had to remind myself of that constantly of, like, don't wish for the next thing and miss— what this season's for. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And one of the things I'm not sure if we'll wind up getting to it or not, but I know that one of the greatest um, lessons, but one of the greatest, again, quotes that have sort of started to become the words that have created a soundtrack for me over these last few years um, came from A.J. Heschel, um, Abraham Joshua Heschel, who's a, a Jewish rabbi who writes a number of things. But in his book on Sabbath, he talks about the goal of the Christian life is not to amass information, but it is to face sacred moments. Mm -hmm. And I would say to face sacred moments and hold them well. 
And I, that has started to become for me like a mantra for all of my days in terms of what does it look like to show up to, we we can't create those moments. Like we don't create sacred moments, but God does. Mm -hmm. And we can show up ready and available to hold them, to help others hold them well, to usher them in as they're coming, to not like squelch them. And so I just think about it in light of even just the season that you're in, the season I'm in, you know, what does it look like to relish the moments of life now, regardless of what's coming or regardless of what we're longing for? Like, what does it look like to relish and to face sacred moments in, Mm. in the now? Yeah. That's good. That's beautiful. Would that would you say that's your life message, or what is your life message? Very much so. It's funny because yeah. that that was one of the things that you had asked about, and I do feel like for me, that that whole idea of facing sacred moments um, really is kind of the crux of the message. But I think mm-hmm. building on that, and this is where it's you know, it's a huge topic that I have a hard time sort of encapsulating because it's been. 15 years really worth of struggle and journey with the Lord and victories with him and crying, sobbing on the kitchen floor moments with him. But I think so much of, so much of our culture right now has dichotomized this whole idea of the physical and the spiritual being very, very different. Like they're, Mm -hmm. they're two different components of life, you know? Um, And we have kind of the, the spiritual world is in, the faith space is in the, the um, you know, the church world and the realm of learning and study and all of that. And then the physical world is very much it's health, it's fitness, it's exercise, it's rest, it's studying the body, mm. but it's not integrating the two. It's not understanding how we invite God into the building of our body mm. or we invite God into the way that we, um, even choose what we are putting in our body, not for what, what it's building, but why we're doing it. Like, what's the heart hunger we're looking to fill? Is it a heart hunger that we're going after in our food or in our workouts or, in, you know, in the physical realm? Like, what what's the motivating factor underneath all of that? And that is an absolute spiritual conversation, but we don't we don't necessarily see it as that. And what's really interesting, side note, you had Gary Thomas on, I think, as I was scrolling through your collected podcast, I saw some episode. Yeah, yeah. You had Gary Thomas on. And Gary Thomas wrote a book called um, Every Body Matters. And he wrote it in probably like 2014, maybe. And um, it's it's all about this. Like, it's all about stewardship of the body mm. and understanding from a biblical perspective what does that look like? Not just for the sake of being obedient, but what does it look like for the sake of having a clear brain and a clear heart and a a body that can show up to the work that God's given us to do on the planet? And I think so much of now, like, so he, he wrote this whole book. I've I was in the, the food battle. I've been in the food battle really since I was little. Um in a relationship with food that's just been rocky, but, but through that, the Lord's done so much as I've invited him into it and learned and studied on a number of things. But he did a great job of articulating how we invite him into that journey. And, and what does it look like to be souls of silver that are constantly um, ready and able to go and to do the work that God's called us to do without being tired and lethargic, you know, depressed on meds, all of that kind of stuff. 
all of that said, I think now with my kind of health and fitness background, but also with my journey with food and then with just this deep desire to face sacred moments and to have life, you know, be about that because so much, I I think that so much of what God's designed is for us to do that. I think that a good component of my life mission now is this conversation is, is giving verbiage and vocabulary to the melding together and the integrating of the physical and the spiritual and understanding Mm -hmm. what fitness for the sake of service, fitness for the sake of life, fitness for the sake of pursuing our calling well really looks like. And it's, that is, it's huge. Like it's such a huge, like I can't even, I mean, literally it's the the book that is in my heart and my head is Jesus be my sugar yeah. because I still want to just completely delve deep in this whole topic and to unpack it on so many levels. Um, but all of that said, the reason I also bring up Gary is because I wrote him to tell him, thank you for writing the book. And he wrote me back super fast. It was so sweet. He wrote me back in like 24 hours and said, Lexus, thanks for your note. The church doesn't want to hear this right now. Mm. And my publisher didn't even want me to put this out. Like we almost didn't publish the book because they so, it's such an emotionally charged topic. Nobody, no pastor talks about gluttony. Like when do you hear a sermon on gluttony? You know, it's like not really a thing we talk about. And it's, it's, it's loaded loaded would be a perfect word for this all. But all of that said, bringing it all back around, I do feel like a huge component of my life message now is um, intertwining, like learning what it looks like to steward the body well for the sake of facing sacred moments. That's amazing. That's so beautiful and Mm. such a powerful life message. Mm. I love it. Um, We are almost out of time. So the final question I have for you, um, what did I miss? What didn't I ask Mm. that God is putting on your heart? Is there any certain word that you have um, just on your heart right now for a listener out there or just in general um, about the character of God or just what you love about Jesus? Yeah, no, gosh, I love that question. And I feel like we've hit on so many wonderful things, but um, I will say Ann Voskamp is a total mentor of mine from far away. Um, Do you know Ann Voskamp? Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Um, And her book, 1000 Gifts, um, was just a total game changer for me. It was one of the only books that I wrote a letter to myself before I read it, because I knew it was going to be such a life shaper for me. I like wrote it in the front cover and uh, I've read it now so many times. And, you know, her whole concept is gratitude. Her whole concept is um, fighting with gratitude and not just the sunshine and butterflies gratitude that is kind of pop culture for us now, you know, it's it's kind of um, popular within culture now, but it's the Jesus kind of gratitude that presses into the things that are hard Mm -hmm. um, and still chooses to be thankful because it's what we're called to do. And then beautifully, supernaturally, the Lord illuminates that hard situation when we choose to practice gratitude for the things maybe around the hard situation and we press into gratitude regardless of the hard situation. The Lord does this beautiful thing to illuminate the hard situation and to really give us um, greater perspective to see 
more of what he's doing. And so I always want to give credit where credit is due. She has been such a deep encouragement to me from far away. Um, Sometimes this is like a, you know, secret of mine that I probably shouldn't be saying, but sometimes I feel like her protege from like, from some, from so many years and so many miles away that, um, that someday I will get to write similarly the way that she has to just inspire and to encourage on the, on the level of depth Mm -hmm. that she has. When I, I got to hear her and Mark Buchanan speak together and Mark Buchanan had written, has written a number of books and she was his protege that he didn't know about for a long time. And, um, and so it was really fun to get to hear them speak and to, to get to hear their discovery of one another. And I was listening, thinking someday, someday, someday yes. I would love, I would so love to get to, um, to just get to finally put out some work, like writing for me that there's, there's a book in me. I know there's a book in me. Shout out to Mark Buchanan. I mean, not Mark Buchanan, Mark Batterson, who writes prolifically. And I just keep thinking, if Mark Bastion could write 20 books, I at least have one in me. <laughs> you can at least write one, right? <laughs> totally. And there's so much that I just want to pen and get down into, really for the sake of having coffee with like so many people. I, I love sitting down to coffee and having deep scuba sessions with people one-on-one, but I want to be able to do that in a book. Yes. And, um, so all that said, the Ann Voskamp concept of pressing into gratitude in the hard, not just in the easy, because that is what we're called to. And that I really do feel like that is where the Lord shows up. Mm. So maybe that's hopefully that's an encouragement. to someone Yes, it is. That is perfect. And a perfect note to end on. Alexis, yeah. thank you so much for joining us this week. This was just a delightful a delight the time went too fast totally i really am grateful that we got to do it thanks for having me on jess thank you what a great conversation with alexis i just love that her message just proclaims over and over the power of gratitude um and kind of this idea kept running through my head too that nothing is wasted like when when we focus on gratitude in situations then then God can use every part of our stories even the parts that seemed really hard or complicated um you know we can start to see his fingerprints through all of it even if it's not what we expected um Lately, I have been a little bit discouraged and frustrated. Um, a while back, back in November, I shared that my condo flooded and it's over six months later now and they haven't even started the renovations. It, there's been delays with um, FEMA approving the flood claim and just all sorts of delay after delay after delay. And now my lease is up at my temporary housing in a month and there's no end in sight. They have no idea when it'll actually be done. And I feel such a loss of control. Um, I can't fix it. I can't make a plan for where I'm going to live next because I don't really have an idea of how long it's going to be. Um, and in that, I feel like I'm supposed to trust the Lord, that He will provide, even though I have no like no logical, rational way of knowing how this is going to play out. I don't have enough information to make a plan of my own. Um, and I, I just feel helpless in this. And um, 
yet I feel God continually saying, trust me, trust me. Like, practice what you preach every other week on the podcast. Let go of control and trust me. Um, and so that is what I'm trying to do. And I, my gratitude right now is that I am thankful for this place he's provided through the next month. I am incredibly thankful that I have friends and family members and people who love me and have offered guest bedrooms. I'm thankful um, for the way that God has provided finances to pay for the place I'm in right now. Um, so those are my three gratitudes for my current situation. And so uh, just practicing flexing that muscle and we'll see what happens next with it. But I just felt compelled to kind of, I don't know, tear down my walls a little bit and be honest and share that um, and give you an update. If if you listen every other week with us, you may remember me sharing about that. So that's kind of where we're at. And you know, it's it's a bit of a struggle, but I am choosing to believe that God will make a way in it, even if it doesn't look like what I expected of being back in my place, um, you know, in the time window they gave me. So I just hope this week you're encouraged and you are practicing gratitude. If you're not, when this podcast ends, I challenge you to think of three things that you are thankful for, big or small. They can be super small. You can be thankful, you know, for this awesome interview with Alexis. <laughs> uh, but I just hope you have a wonderful week. Uh, we are praying for you as our listeners, and we love you very much. I hope you have a good one. Thank you for listening to The Collected Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love it if you'd help spread the word. Check back here for new episodes dropping every other Thursday. You can follow along on social media at Collected Ministries. If you would like to support Collected by making a tax-deductible contribution, please visit collectedministries.org slash donate. The Collected Podcast is also on Patreon at patreon.com slash thecollectedpodcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Become a patron for as little as a dollar a month to gain access to bonus content, early bird ticket sales, giveaways, and more. You can also find Tia at Tia McNelly Notes and Jess at Spreza Foundry. Collected proudly supports and partners with Flourish Kenya, a nonprofit working to support and prevent unplanned adolescent pregnancy in rural Kenya. Learn more at flourishkenya.org. The Collected Podcast is produced by Jess Biondo and edited by Jacob Early. Music is by Asaf Elan.